Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning. We're so glad that you have chosen to join us today in our worship service. We thank God for you. We thank God that you choose to take time to uh, just be a part of what God's doing uh, through this service, through New Song Family Church, and around the world as you watch uh, our Facebook Live. And later on, you can pick it up or you can see it on YouTube or listen to it on uh, podcast. So we appreciate the fact that, that you choose to to be a part of our worship service, our preaching, our photos, and the, just the joy that we experience even though we are not together. Um, we feel like this is such a, a wonderful way for us to be unified in spirit. So thank you for being a part of this service. Uh, come to you from Texas, New Boston, Texas, uh, as we're doing this service today. I'm so thankful for Sibylla and JP and Rico and all the hard work that they do uh, on the Namibian side to keep things going and to keep us all connected. And I really do praise God uh, for these adults that, um, that minister for our church family in New Song Family Church. Uh, today, we're closing out our study of Philippians and we have... Um, Last week, Brian challenged us in chapter 3 to be mature, to be mature in the Lord. And so as we uh, look today into chapter 4, we start chapter 4, Paul starts it with a therefore. So we believe, Brian and I always say, if you ever see a therefore in the Bible, you need to pause and see what it is there for. And so when you look at chapter 4 and it starts with that, we do need to go back to chapter 3. Uh, just to think about the Philippians, the Philippians were um, people who Paul dearly loved. This isn't a reprimanding letter or rebuking letter, but it's more of what I would call a go team go letter, uh, one that he's challenging them, the Philippians, to stand firm in the Lord, to go forward with Christ Jesus, um, watch out because you have an enemy, and um, yeah, just a, a letter of encouragement. They were the people who received him when he first was called by God into ministry and loved him. And here at the end, while he's in prison, they're the ones that are still seeing about him and loving him. So uh, Paul writes this letter of Philippians uh, out of such deep love and concern for these people. And so in chapter 3, it says, We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under control. That's our hope that we have that's coming. So starting chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore, based on that, based on our hope of what's coming, because we love Jesus Christ, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. 
I plead with Euodia and I plead with Seneca to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Do you hear his heart? He's saying, oh, my sweet friends, whom I dearly, dearly love. Remember what's coming. Don't lose heart and stand firm in the Lord. He tells them, make sure you stay unified. When the people of Christ Jesus begin to fight amongst themselves, that division destroys our church. It destroys our witness. It destroys the message that we are supposed to be carrying out, carrying out to a lost world. And so he says, make sure you are unified and make sure you don't lose sight of the task that God has given you to do. Stand firm. Help each other to stand firm. Help each other to remain unified. And then he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's writing from prison. And you realize that he's saying, Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice Paul knew hardship as a believer. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28, Paul actually gives a list of the things that he's been through. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." You know, I really do love how-to books and how-to articles. I'm always searching those things out. And in fact, I looked up this morning how to have my uh, computer read things to me so I can be busy doing something else and my computer would read that to me. So I love the how-tos. I also like how-to people. I enjoy people that have been through experiences and they can tell me, this is how you do this. I have some advice for you. So Paul truly is our number one choice, our number one guy for how to suffer well. He has the best advice on how to go through difficulties. So this verse is only echoing what Paul has already said earlier in his letter in chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's Paul's theme, rejoicing praising God no matter where he finds himself. And so we see in Acts 16, 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. He sings, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can you hear him? And he probably pointed to the other prisoners to come in on their little ramp. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. I'm sure it wasn't that hymn. But I could just hear them singing and him telling the fellow prisoners, join us, come in with this. 
Rejoice, singing to the Lord, others watching and listening. Not fake joy, but a joy that gave him strength, a joy that gave him hope, a joy that he chose to be in. But you think, how in the world is that possible? I, you know, we do understand that he'd been beaten and he was in prison and he was telling us to rejoice and he's singing and he's rejoicing. But it's so hard to understand, how do I apply that to my own personal life? The key to understanding how Paul rejoiced in difficult circumstances is found in that verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The Lord is the object of his rejoicing. And the Lord has to be the object of our rejoicing. He has to be the foundation of everything. First, the Lord. When I rejoice in the Lord, I put my focus on him and him alone. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. This truly should distinguish us as followers of Christ, that Christ is first. He becomes the object of our focus, the object of our heart, the object of our joy, that we actually put all of our hope in him. In Romans 12, 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Choosing to daily live in hope, choosing daily to recognize that Jesus Christ is our everything. And we ask God all the time, would you give us your kingdom perspective? Keep our eyes on you. In Philippians 4, 5, Paul goes on and says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This word gentleness is representing a behavior as response to suffering, injustices, and disgrace. It's an attitude of graciousness that others should be able to see in us, even in difficult situations. You know, we, I do, I'm sure you do too. We love uh, listening to, being a part of stories where someone has gone through such a difficult situation but they're gracious, joyful people. I watch uh, Joni Erickson Tada videos all the time as she sits in a wheelchair since she was 17 years old and the joy of the Lord being in her speech and in her demeanor. I enjoy personal friends like Suzette who struggle so greatly with pain and yet she fills my heart with joy. I love being with her. In fact, if I'm having a down day, she's the one I like to go have a cup of coffee with because she rejoices in the Lord always. It should be evident, that kind of choice, that uh, lifestyle should be evident, not only when we show up and meet with fellow Christians, my family first should be able to see that in me. My friends, people at school, at the sports field, Strangers, when I'm running around in the store with everybody with their mask on right now at the grocery store, how do I convey the graciousness of my Heavenly Father with my eyes, with my actions, when I have a mask over my face? Other cultures should be able to see this in me. Different races, different accents. When you don't sound like this, can I show the joy of the Lord? Even to all the drivers we're on the road with, evident to all, an attitude like Jesus would have in that situation. He says in Philippians 1, 27, 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We must remember who and what we are representing as we go through our day. We are a representation of Jesus Christ in this world, in my home, in my job, on the road, wherever I am, God has told us we are representing his son, Jesus. And then it says there at the end, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. That verse reminds us the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand, some versions say. Near meaning, at hand meaning, the Lord never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He's continuously helping us to stay focused on him. He's continuously helping us to have the day that represents him properly. Also near means as in the time the Lord's return is coming, very near. If I felt like Jesus was coming today, truly wondered if Jesus was coming today, what would my day be like? Would I live in such a way that Jesus would find me pleasing to his kingdom. Live as if Jesus is near. Jesus is near right here with you, helping you, and Jesus is near, just about to come and redeem his children. It says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I just think sometimes, are you kidding me? Don't be anxious about anything. It's really hard to not worry, isn't it? And anything is truly a humongous word. Health, my finances, school, grades, jobs, our marriages, our children, education, friends, sports, my failures, anything. Being anxious and worrying means I have forgotten about God. It's actually truly a form of atheism when I choose to worry. The more I worry, the less I'm trusting in and believing in who God is. Paul doesn't say to just stop worrying, but he gives us a thought replacement plan. I like it. So he says, do not be anxious about anything. Stop doing that. But, so here's the, the connection of don't do this, but here's what I want you to do. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer. You see these three aspects, prayer, petition or supplication, and thanksgiving that come in to presenting our requests to God. So prayer is just talking to God. I find prayer not really hard work. It's um, a relationship. It's a friendship with my Heavenly Father. And I just enjoy it's just being with them. Sometimes I say, hey Jesus, I'm not okay today. When I voice that, I feel instantly that Jesus is with me and going, well, let me, let me help you with this. Sometimes I say, <laughs> Jesus, that was hilarious, wasn't it? And then I laugh with Jesus about something. Sometimes, I asked Jesus, can I just crawl up into his lap and say, can I just sit with you for a while? I really need you just to hold me right now. Prayer, it's just a relationship. Listening to him, talking to him, but sometimes it's just being in his presence. Prayer, petition, 
Supplication. That's the action of just earnestly, with all your heart, humbly asking or begging God for something. Praying that for yourself or for somebody else. I think petition and supplication, I think it's really hard work. I feel like when you go into that time of praying, those times that, that you feel like you need to be there, you really physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and mentally pour yourself out into a prayer like that. That's not, I'm not talking about the kind where you say, oh, help them get well. It's the kind that you feel like you start doing a battle against the spiritual darkness, that you fight in a war against uh, Satan and begging God for his will to be done in a situation. It's exhausting. I have a, a dear friend here whose husband's been very ill, and she told me yesterday that sometimes as she's sitting before Jesus, begging him to not allow her husband to die, begging Jesus to heal her husband, she said it's such um, physically draining that sometimes she looks to see if she's sweating uh, sweat drops of blood like Jesus did in the garden. She said she can understand how he could have done that because it's so agonizing to beg God to pour yourself out begging him for something to be taken place and that for God to have the victory. Also that third one, Thanksgiving. I have learned that Thanksgiving is a huge part for me to not worry and to be anxious. Thanksgiving reminds me of who God is. And so when uh, I have a thankful heart, when I put Thanksgiving into my heart and mind about something that's concerning me, I feel like it gives me a God perspective in the sense that I'm, I know God is God. I know he's in control. I know that he hasn't forsaken me. So when I start thanking him, then I'm reminded I'm not alone here and that I can trust him because I have seen him work here, 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 and here. So even in this situation, when God's not making sense to me, I can trust him again here. I do a lot of different things for Thanksgiving. I have Thanksgiving notebooks that when I say, thank you, Jesus, for a situation right then, or a beautiful thing or whatever, that I write it in my notebook, I challenge myself to be thankful in moments, not after the moment, but in the moment to say, thank you, Jesus, for this. That's my challenge to myself. When I do that, when I say, thank you, Jesus, in a moment, then in that moment, things are just perfectly fine. Everything else could be going on around it. But when I say, thank you, Jesus, for something, for that second, I'm okay. And I have learned that when I say, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, they begin to, to form hours and days and weeks and months and years. I start realizing I have a life to be so thankful for. I look at my life now because it's been strung together with thankfulness of noticing things that God has done for me. And so as I string these thankful things together, I can say to you, man, I've really had a great life. God has just outdone himself in what he's done in my life. To give you an example, 
<clears throat> one day I was heading up to Central Hospital to visit the children's cancer ward. And, <clears throat> and as I got out of the car, it was in October, and the jacarandas in front of Central Hospital were just gorgeous. I cannot express how beautiful they were. They're just blooming everywhere, this purple, gorgeous trees all out in the front of Central Hospital. And so as I got out of my car, I just stood there in the parking lot and I thank God for his beauty in front of a hospital where there's so much suffering and so much sorrow, thanking him that he chooses to put beauty everywhere in the world so we don't miss who he is. And I just enjoyed him and enjoyed his gorgeous jacaranda trees. So I walked on into the hospital and walked into that eighth floor at the cancer ward. And when I uh, went to greet the nurses there, I was told that two children who I had grown to love so very much had died the night before. I just couldn't believe it. I was so broken and I finished quickly my visit of the other children and I started walking out of the hospital and the tears just started pouring. I was actually blinded by the tears. I just had to keep wiping them so I could see and they were angry, bitter tears of how in the world could this have happened that these two sweet children had died the night before. And as I walked out the door, I opened these same doors that I had walked in. And as I opened them, there were the beautiful jacaranda trees in front of me. And God said so clearly to me, I want you to praise me now, just like you did when you walked through these doors. I want you to praise me. I'm the same God you were talking to and being thankful to as you walked in these doors. Nothing has changed except you have a little bit of knowledge. And so I began to thank God. I thanked God that he loved those sweet children more than I could have ever imagined. I thanked God that these children were in his arms, that they were whole and no longer suffering. I thanked God that he loved these families. He loved these grieving families that didn't have uh, these little boys anymore and that he was taking care of these families. And I thanked him that he loved me and that he cared that my heart was breaking. When I did all that, my heart was still breaking, but I had hope. God replaced that bitter tears with tears of hope, with tears of thanksgiving that my God was still on his throne. My God was still sovereign Lord, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. When all three, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving are a part of your life in every situation, then the peace of God comes when you give your request to him. That is the result of that. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, the peace of God comes when we release everything to him. It's like a time uh, last year when I was in a truck with Brian and one of our missionaries driving through the mountains of Lesotho. And I had never been to Lesotho before and I knew it had mountains, but whoa, does it have mountains. Steep, steep, steep mountains. 
and it was a time of the year, uh, winter time, not anything green, no green anywhere, it was brown, 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 brown. And um, we were riding on a path that at some times, our truck will seem to be a little wider than the path was. And I was sitting on the side of the cliff as it just dropped off for meters and meters and meters and meters and meters uh, that I could see down to the bottom. And that I was riding there and I had to make a choice. Am I gonna be sick with fear of falling off this mountain or am I gonna enjoy the ride? I'm still gonna be in this car one way or the other sick with fear or enjoy the ride. It was gorgeous. There were these pink blossom trees everywhere. So everything was starkly brown and then these beautiful pink blossoms on trees everywhere covering the mountainsides. There were people on these steep mountains with their sheep and their goats walking on that rocky terrain. I enjoyed it so very much because I actually had zero control of what was gonna take place. And I decided that I either could be sick with fear or look at the beauty God had given us, but I still was going to be in that car. So we make those choices. And Paul says to us about those choices. He tells us, think about the whatevers. Think about the whatevers. He says in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things. Oh, I've left out, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And again, the God of peace will be with you. Do you see how this is all working together for you and for me to have a life filled with God's joy and with God's peace? It's a determined choice of swap, I think. You don't think about the things that make you anxious, but you think about such things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy. The swap we think about such things. Uh, Brian likes doing with the youth, don't think about a red car. And he keeps saying that, don't think about a red car, don't think about a red car. And then so he'll say, were any of you successful in not thinking about a red car? Well, a few kids will be successful. And when we ask, how did you not think about a red car? They would say, I thought about a blue car. They chose to make a mental swap of the colors. We practice what Paul is teaching us. We're choosing to not be anxious about anything and swapping it rather to talk about, to God about everything, asking him for what we need, thanking him for who he, he, who he is and who he has been in the situation, replacing our anxious thoughts with the whatever thoughts those choices, and then we will experience the God of peace that comes over us. I truly don't like formulas where God is concerned, but this one has been one that I have found true. Not always is the situation changed, 
But I can tell you this, 100% of the time when I do this, I'm changed. God changes me and gives me hope again and gives me what I need in difficult situations. Contentment is a part of this uh, passage also. It's being satisfied with whatever is available, not wanting more or something else. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced, again, there's our word, greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. As Paul states twice here, contentment is learned. It's a choice. We live in a world that actually makes money off of creating discontent in our lives, convincing us that we need more or we deserve more. We need something else. We see all these ads on TV or wherever. You might see a very frustrated lady mopping a floor and it's so difficult for her to be mopping this floor. You might see a person that can't get their clothes buttoned. They're just too tight. They're not fitting. Or a scene where a family's sitting there eating blucky, boring food. Our kids totally out of control and driving their parents crazy, etc. And then we see the solution. There's an easy peasy mopping system. There is a delicious and filling diet that just will absolutely melt away the pounds. Or there's a happy smiling family chowing down juicy delicious fried chicken from KFC. Kids having a blast and loving their parents dearly because they've taken them to the local amusement park. We have to learn to be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And we need then to lean in to hear. Do you hear Paul say, I've learned the secret. Do you like secrets? I tell you, my sister used to get me on that one over and over and over again. My sister would say, I have a secret. And I'd go, tell me. And she would say, oh, I'm not going to tell you, but you really are going to be sorry you don't know this secret. And I'd go, oh, please, oh, please tell me your secret. So my sister, who was so wise, knowing that she had this gullible little sister, would say, I'll give this, I'll tell you my secret if you pay me 80 cents. But I'd say, that's all I have is 80 cents. And she'd say, well, if you want the secret, you have to pay 80 cents. And she would just go on and on going, oh, you're going to be so sad you don't know this. Well, I would finally pay her the money. I, like I said, very gullible, would pay her the money for her secret. And it would be something like mom's cooking, you know, mashed potatoes tonight. Something like that. It wasn't anything worth my last 80 cents of my life. So I began to teach myself learning the secret of being content. I started working on when my sister said, I've got a secret and it's gonna change your life. I learned, mm, that's okay. I'm all right not knowing my, secret, my sister's secret. I had to learn how to be content 
with where I was and with the knowledge that I had. Paul's secret, lean in. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's where his strength comes from, as his heavenly father. He finds the secret of contentment. He has learned, no matter what situation he's in, to be content because Jesus gives him what he needs to do that. And then another way for us to find joy and to be contented is to go outside of ourselves, to do things for other people. I think that's very, very important that we busy ourselves also outside of ourselves helping other people. Paul says in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And then he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Paul thanks the Philippians for how they've been concerned about him and have sent what he's needed in prison. But verse 19, Paul really states that God truth and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. As they continue giving, God will continue supplying everything they need. It's an amazing God truth. One February fast uh, that we had, one of my personal prayers that year was I asked God, would he give me extra money to give away and extra things to give away? So I told God anything that he would hand to me, I would pass along during that year. And so I, I looked at it like an open hand thing that if I kept my hands open, God would pour into my hands and then it would go out this way to somebody else. But at any time, if I ever closed my hand, then I think God would you know, just stop blessing that. It was an amazing year because as I held my heart and hands open, God began to give and give and give. And I was able to give and give and give. It was the most incredible uh, experience. It was so much fun. And as I would share things, I would say to the person I was giving it to, this is from Jesus. And they'd give me that look. And I'd say, no, really. It's really from Jesus. So I believe that God tells us to go outside of ourselves and he is going to supply all that we need to be able to give to others because that's his promise to us. When we look at this chapter, we think my responsibility, your responsibility is to stand firm in the truth, no matter what's happening. You know, we're saying this is a crazy time. There's been crazy times before this. There's going to be crazy times after this. Is it going to blow you over? Are you going to stand firm? Are you going <coughs> to be strong in the Lord and stand firm? We are to rejoice in who he is. We're supposed to be a godly witness to all those who are watching us. We choose to not worry. We swap it with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, making our requests known to our Heavenly Father. 
We choose to think on the whatevers. We put our minds on that. We learn how to do this. We put it into practice and we work hard at learning to be content. God's promises to all that is the Lord is at hand. He's near. The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace is with you. He will give you strength to do everything you're striving to do. And he will meet all of yours and all of my needs with his riches. It's an incredible exchange, isn't it? And lastly, on the last verses there, as he greets them and tells them goodbye, I greet you in a personal way of these verses. My dear Namibian family, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Brian, our parents, our children and their spouses, our siblings, all those that you have met, and all who are with us send our greetings to you. All God's people who we've met over here and have told them about you also send their greetings. May you receive and experience the amazing grace of Jesus Christ deep, deep within you. And one final thing, my sweet family, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.